when you have a number of siblings in a household, normally one takes charge, whether it's well-received or not. And uh, that depends upon the situation, doesn't it? But in many cases, you'll have one that, that takes charge, which results in the others asking, who made you the boss over me, right? Or sometimes they'll just come out and say it, you're not the boss over me. But uh, at times, they'll want reasons for why you have authority. And uh, some of the reasons that might be given is this. One, I'm the oldest, and that may or may not be well-received, depending upon the age range. Uh, another one, I know more than you. I, I've got more experience in life, a couple of years' worth, right? And uh, that, again, may or may not carry very much weight. And uh, then the third reason one might give is mom and dad left me in charge. Now, this one, if it can be verified, might carry some weight as long as mom and dad are around. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. We are back in our study in Luke. We've, we've never really left Luke, uh, but we jumped ahead for uh, Easter, and we looked at uh, Luke chapter 24, but we're back in our study through the gospel of Luke, and uh, I know you've slept a while since then. It's been about five weeks, but uh, where we left off last, we're at the end of Luke chapter 4. So we're finishing out this chapter this morning. We're continuing with Jesus's ministry in Galilee, and today we are following Jesus to Capernaum which was a city in Galilee. Let's look at our map for just a moment. This will give us Jesus' journey so far. The lower red dot was Nazareth. That's where he began. And then just up from that on the uh, Sea of Galilee, we have the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is an important place because it was a place that that Jesus called home for a little while. It was also home to several of Jesus' disciples. We know that Matthew was a tax collector there. We'll learn that as we move on. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John called Capernaum home. We learn that in Matthew chapter 4. Last time we were in our series in Luke, Jesus was ministering in his hometown of Nazareth and he was teaching in the synagogue there about how <clears throat> he is the Christ and has been sent by God to fulfill the word of God providing rescue from sin through his great person and work and they did not believe his teaching and he refused to give them a sign of his great person and work in the working of miracles and they actually sought to kill him by tossing him off a cliff the only miraculous thing that Jesus does among them sadly and and is miraculously passing through their midst and out of their grasp and out of sight and uh, we don't have any evidence that shows that he ever returned to Nazareth again Thabiti Anyabwile in his commentary on Luke says this, 
He says, as far as we know, the Lord never returned to Nazareth. The Gospels do not record him entering his hometown again. Some rejections are final. So sad. Well, Jesus moves on in his ministry to Capernaum, and there he establishes his authority to the people there, both by what he says and by what he does. So we're going to examine his ministry there today as we finish out chapter 4. After explaining to his hometown folks of who he is, Jesus moves on to greener pastures. And while he takes a similar approach as he does in Nazareth, there are several things that Jesus does in this context that establishes his Authority that we're going to look at this morning. This passage is all about Jesus's authority. Jesus's authority is going to be put on display in the stories we're going to look at this morning. We're going to see his authority on display in both his words and his deeds. Three ways we see Christ's authority in these verses of scripture notice number one the authority of Jesus in his teaching look at verse 31 chapter 4 of Luke and he went down to Capernaum city of Galilee and he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority so when Jesus left Nazareth he travels to Capernaum and when he goes there notice he is strategic once again on the Sabbath that would have been the time when the religious leaders were, were gathered together for instruction Jesus goes and because he is viewed as a rabbi a teacher he teaches them and notice we're told they were astonished now let me tell you it is hard to astonish religious leaders. I was at a text-driven preaching conference a few months ago in a room filled with, with prominent preachers and professors, many who had PhDs by their name. And while these men were the ones I met were humble servants of the Lord, many of them have written and delivered and heard great sermons throughout their years, week, out, week in and week out. Now, I'll tell you, it was, it was fun watching these pastors and professors get excited when others were delivering the message and responding to the word being preached. Jesus is doing something here on another level. He astonished with his teaching. That word means to be amazed to the point of being overwhelmed. They are, they are floored by his teaching. Why? Luke tells us because his word possessed authority. Christ preached with authority and confidence of one with superior understanding and intellect, which makes sense when we consider who he is. He is the word. The word is delivering the word. The Word made flesh, God the Son, the image of the invisible God, the divine revealer of truth. He is delivering this message with greater authority than even the prophets of old. 
The writer of Hebrews tells us that at the beginning of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The creator of all, the Word made flesh was bringing the word. You better believe they were floored by this teaching. He did not come to speak speculatively the words of men who had gone before him. He came to speak definitively the word of truth, the word of God from above. John tells us he came and he spoke on the things which he had seen and heard. He came from heaven above to the earth below to deliver the message from the heavens. Matthew tells us in Matthew 7, 29, Jesus taught them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. R.C. Sproul explains it in this way. The scribes, like the later rabbis, taught by referring to what previous teachers had said. Their authority was the tradition. Jesus taught directly from Scripture with his own authority. And that caused him to stand out. That astonished the religious leaders. Jesus' teaching came with exclamation marks. It came with power. Remember, like he did in Nazareth, he used the Old Testament Scriptures to direct his hearers toward himself his great person and work. I heard someone say it in this way. I love this. Our Lord taught the Old Testament like it was his autobiography. Right? He taught with personal authority. Hearing him speak would have been like hearing the the author of a book speak instead of hearing someone talk about a book that someone else had authored. It was hard to amaze These old religious leaders who felt like they had heard and seen it all, but they have not heard anything like Jesus. He shook the halls of their places of worship, and many responded to his message. His ministry made such an impact in Capernaum that they sought him out when he tried to leave them, and they tried to prevent prevent him from leaving them. That's when you know your preaching has made an impact, right? People aren't wishing you'd wrap up so they could get to the exit. No, they were going to seek him out. Skip down to verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So he he told them, I I have to continue this message to the other towns as well. I must preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. I must go and call for sinners to repent and trust in me and follow me and live their lives for me. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of his people. We enter into God's kingdom through repentance of sin and faith in Christ alone it's through him we're forgiven and we're restored to God it's through him and for him we are to live our lives Jesus told them I was sent 
for this purpose, to preach the gospel message. I was sent to preach that the scriptures are fulfilled in my coming and to accomplish this great work. And he continued to astonish and also to disrupt and upset by preaching this message. How have you responded to the teachings of Jesus? Are you amazed at his great person and work and his great teachings? Do you long to hear his word preached? Do you long to study his word? Do you love the word? Do you want the word? Do you study the word? Do you hunger for the word when you have not had the word? Are you satisfied with the word? When it's preached you're going to be given some very practical challenges this week to help you in this area of your spiritual life be sure and and look at the study guide that we we gave you this week in your bulletin and 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 commit to doing these things that we challenge you to do in your study guide notice the second demonstration of Jesus's authority in this passage we see the authority of Jesus over demons Look at verses 33 through 37. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Skip down to verse 41. We're, we're told that when the sun was setting, many came with various diseases. Some were demon-possessed. And we're told in verse 41, And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Amazing. Now, I want to first draw your attention back up to what's said in verse 33. I bet you passed over it just like I did when I first read it. And where, verse 33, in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Now, in the movies, evil is it's portrayed in dark places like cemeteries and in dark woods, right? But, but not in places like the church, right? In Scripture, however... They are sometimes found in religious people and in religious places. You don't expect demon possession to be taking place in the synagogue or in the church, do you? Yet, here one is. Not in a graveyard, not in a dark forest, but in a synagogue. Again, Thabiti, Anyabwile, says this in his commentary. He says, sadly, we oftentimes do not have to go further than the assembly of God's people to find evidence of the enemy's work. So true. Sad, but true. But notice the authority of Jesus here. In the demon's surprise, 
and in the demon's response. He cried out with a loud voice, Ha! Now, there is some debate over the translation of that word, but the ESV translators translate this as an emotional exclamation. The demon seems to be surprised, taken off guard by Jesus' appearance, and he speaks for himself and the other demons. He says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What a confession here, by the way. Now, don't be fooled. This demon's not siding with Christ. He is, however, cowering before him, but not siding with him. Demons are opposed to God's rule, to everything God does. They hate God, hate his people. Their entire mission is set against God and his people. Yet, while that's the case, when God the Son enters the scene, they tremble and cower before him. While they will not be saved by him, there is no bowing before him in complete surrender to him. There is a true confession of him and of his authority. They call him Jesus of Nazareth. That's true. He is truly man. And then the Holy One of God. Later in the passage, when Jesus exercises a whole host of demons, they say of him, you are the Son of God. Those confessions are on par with crowning him king, calling him the Messiah. Notice how Jesus responds. We see in verse 35 and later in verse 41 that he silences them. Why? Why does he silence them? I mean, they're speaking truth, right? Is Jesus not the Holy One of God? Is he not the Son of God? Say yes. Yeah. Why silence them? Well, there is some debate over this. We're not told specifically here There were probably a number of reasons for this. One might be because oftentimes the enemy will often speak some truth in order to draw people into an even greater lie. That happens, right? Jesus might have been preventing that. A a demon identifying with Jesus might have confused things with the audience he was aiming to reach. He often silenced people when they're making certain confessions about him before his time has come because there were misconceptions about the Messiah and Jesus wanted to keep from those things until the appropriate time for him to be revealed when he enters into Jerusalem before he lays his life down. We don't know for sure. We're not told here specifically what the reason was, but we do see here that Luke, by telling this story, is emphasizing Jesus' authority here. Jesus shows his authority by shutting these demons up with a simple rebuke and then casting them out. What power. Notice, before the demon in the synagogue is silenced and cast out, he speaks on behalf of his demon friends and asks the question, have you come to destroy us? They knew he could. They might have even known he someday would. An amazing confession here by some wicked, unsaved demon caused me to wonder who we have in our midst who have not confessed Christ to this extent here, just to the extent of the demons. How many do we know today who have just completely rejected Christ as king, as the Holy One of Israel? If I'm speaking to you today, I urge you to not be outdone by wicked demons in your view of Christ and in your response to him. Do more than they do by bowing the knee to King Jesus if you have not and surrendering your life before the King of Kings.
and be saved. Bow before the one who causes demons to flee with a word. Bow before him. Verse 35, Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked him saying, be silent, come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. I imagine so. This response here, it sounds similar to the response of the disciples when Jesus calms the storm. You remember that? You'll read that in your scripture reading this week. They say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And here they say, what is this word that Jesus speaks with authority and power? He tells unclean spirits what to do and they do it. They, they, they knew the power of these evil spirits. Notice they're overpowering men, throwing them to the ground. Yet Jesus tells them what to do, and they obey without hesitation. How many of us respond to God in this way, with an unflinching obedience? Well, that's convicting, isn't it? If evil demons do, how much more so should we, believers? They obey him because he exercises a raw, condemning authority over them. Toward us, he shows mercy and grace and love. How much more should we respond to God with a quick, joyful, and complete obedience? Let us not be okay with being upstaged by demons and their response to God and in their obedience toward him. They are opposed to him. They will be destroyed by him. We have been saved by him. We belong to him. He loved us and gave himself for us. Our response to the Lord should be joyful confession of him as Lord in quick, complete, and loving obedience to him. So we see the authority of Jesus in his teaching. The authority of Jesus over demons. Third and finally, we see the authority of Jesus over sickness. Look at verses 38 through 40. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. Underline that. They appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose up and began to serve them. Underline that. Immediately she rose up and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus shows his authority here through his healing ministry. As we said earlier, Capernaum was, was Peter's hometown. Here we learn that Peter is married because in order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. And his mother-in-law is ill. She had a high fever. And Luke, the, the physician, he points this out to us that, that she had a high fever to let us know, giving us the details, reminding us also that, get this, sin's effects, the, the effects, the consequences of sin are not just spiritual consequences. There are 
physical consequences to our sin, right? We're often real quick to oversimplify and over-spiritualize uh, every problem and say that all the difficulties we face in life are demonic, failing to acknowledge that because of sin, we have been radically corrupted in every way. We have been ruined and wrecked physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Because of sin, man falls prey to demonic influences. Because of sin, man is plagued with psychological disorders. Because of sin, man gets sick and is plagued with various types of sicknesses and disease. This world is messed up because of sin. Good news is Jesus has come to fix what we broke. He has come to make right all that we have wronged. And that's what he's showing during his earthly ministry. By removing sickness, bringing sight to blind eyes, raising the dead back to life. Jesus is showing the world God the, the way God meant it to be and the way it will one day be again because of him. Notice his authority here. Jesus enters into Simon's house, walks over to his mother-in-law with a high fever, stood over her and rebuked that fever like he rebuked the demons and the fever like the demons obeyed the Lord and left her. Amazing, right? That right there, folks, is a miracle. And notice what she does in response. We're told she rose up immediately and began to serve. There's great application here for us, right? She had an encounter with Christ, was healed, and responded by immediately rising up and serving the Lord by serving others. Do I need to say more than that, believers? If you're here, you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. You have been healed spiritually. You have been made new. You have been raised in Christ to walk in newness of life with him and for him you have been saved not only by God and from God but you have been saved for God you have been saved to love and serve him by loving and serving others so go and do just that that's the application here from Peter's mother-in-law before we move on to a true healing service I emphasize true here. Let me draw your attention to verse 38 again. Notice how it says they brought Peter's mother-in-law before the Lord. We're told they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. Who do you know that's suffering today? Let me ask you this. Are you appealing to Christ on their behalf? Are you bringing them before God's throne of grace praying for their healing physically, emotionally, mentally, and most importantly, spiritually. Here in just a moment, as this message concludes, we're going to end with singing one more song of praise. And, and before you, you leave here today, I want you to take time to bring those matters before the Lord. Appeal to Christ on that certain person's behalf. It may be someone here in our midst. I would encourage you to do that. We have folks in our midst who are hurting physically and, and emotionally and mentally and spiritually appeal to Christ on their behalf to friends and family 
as well. That's what happened to Peter's mother-in-law, and we're told she was healed. Notice who else Jesus heals, verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. These were truly sick people with a variety of diseases, and Christ turned no one away. He simply laid hands on everyone and healed them all. He did not sell tickets to come and watch. He didn't take up an offering afterwards or during. He didn't put a film crew together to broadcast this healing service to gain notoriety. And he certainly didn't spread heretical doctrine as he healed. He spoke truth. And he laid hands on every person with every sort of disease who came to him and he healed every person. That is power. That is power. Jesus has authority in his teaching, authority over demons, authority over sickness, authority over all. Through his teaching, through casting out demons, through healing the sick, Jesus showed those in Capernaum who's in charge. He's in charge. He showed them who the Holy One of Israel truly is, who the King of kings and Lord of lords truly is. He showed them the work the Father sent him to do. He was sent to proclaim the gospel. He was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He was sent to call sinners to repentance and faith. He was sent to usher in God's kingdom through his life and death and resurrection. He was sent to rule and reign in the hearts and lives of men. He was sent to make a way for the lost to be found, sinners to be forgiven, the wayward to be restored to God. He was sent to reverse the curse. He was sent, watch this, to show Satan and his demons, to show sickness and death that their days are numbered. He was sent to restore us physically and more importantly, spiritually. And the question for you today is this, what is your response going to be to him today? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Listen, like Satan and his demons, sin and death, like their days are numbered, so are the days for the unregenerate. Those not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, the days for sinful humanity are numbered. And scripture is clear, your end will either be condemnation or salvation. That's it. Nothing in between those two. What will your response to Christ be? I urge you today, if you have not, forsake your sin, trust in Christ alone for salvation. I, I, I invite you, if you have not, come to Christ today while there's still time. Before it's too late, before you die in your sin and face God's judgment that is surely coming, repent, believe, and be saved today. Let's pray together.